Welcome to the CCW Digital Podcast Series. I'm Matt Wujak, Customer Experience Analyst and host for today's discussion. And I'm joined by co-host and CCW Digital Principal Analyst, Brian Cantor, as well as a extremely special guest today, ServiceNow's Joe Mulrooney, Industries Director of Manufacturing. And today we'll be covering the increasing importance of after-sales support, specifically in manufacturing, and what other industries can learn as well. We'll also be discussing some of the challenges and obstacles to focus on, such as process optimization, complex processes and silos across departments, and a changing workforce. Lastly, we'll also be answering some of the lessons learned from manufacturers and service employees who have matured some of these ideas that we'll be covering and discussing today. So Joe, before we dive in, how are you today? I'm good. Great to be here, man. Awesome. And we're extremely excited to have you here as well. And Brian and I recently came across an interview that you did, I believe back in April. You were quoted in Industry Week stating, and bear with me, it's a rather long quote that says, the biggest barrier will be your successful old non-servitized products. The temptation is always going to be to go back to those old products that were successful because you're all set up to sell them and when a box goes out the door, you recognize revenue immediately. Revenue isn't immediate on a servitized offering. It's critical to understand that going in. The key metric is no longer how many units shipped, but when do we get the renewal? You also need to make sure your dealers and distributors understand this new reality. So while product sales and delivery is imperative for organizations and obviously manufacturers, why is the after sales support so important in the industry today? Yeah, I mean, that's, that is the, the big question, right? So, so yeah, that increasing focus on after sales support by manufacturers, it's, I mean, in a way it's about the same things things are always about, right? It's about revenue. <laughs> it's about, you know, how am I making money here? Um, but, but you want to deepen customer relationships. Um, and, and one of the ways to do that is bring new products to market and particularly new service products to market. Aftermarket, you know, historically it's been like afterthought, not just aftermarket, but I think manufacturers really have increasingly noted a few things, right? Um, uh, you know, margins on aftermarket services are, are you know, typically 25% versus 10% for new equipment sales, right? If, um, you know, if you buy a refrigerator one piece at a time, that costs a lot more than just going to the store and buying a refrigerator, right? So, so you're actually making a lot more money on the aftermarket. Um, in general, it's much easier to sell uh, to existing customers, right? Um, something like 60, 70% success selling to people who've already bought my gear versus, you know, 20, 25% with somebody off the street who, you know, has never done business with me before. And then, you know, you put those statistics together and you end up with something like 40 to 50% of profit for manufacturers can be generated from services. And, uh, you know, you know, this is true, right? Because if you ever, you know, sometimes you, you'll, you'll go down to your mailbox and there, there's like a, a new razor blade and, and, and razor in the mailbox, just there for free, right? They just, Gillette just wants to give you a razor. Um, but, you know, why do they do that? Well, they do that because those razor blades, when you go to Walmart, you say, oh my God, look how expensive that is, right? I'm, I'll give you the gear if I can lock in that, that aftermarket. And I think, you know, 
razor blades are one thing, switch gear or uh, 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 you know industrial durables are, are, are a different thing, obviously, but there is something to that, right? It's the, geez, if I lock someone in, I've got a, a big revenue opportunity in front of me and I get them kind of uh, addicted to my service, you know? Yeah, and I think you do a phenomenal job really of hitting on two mindset shifts that if they haven't happened yet, absolutely need to be happening within organizations. First and foremost, you have servitization there. The notion that looking at it as a big picture, long service and stream of revenue, not just that one-off product, that one-off transaction, certainly essential for success in the space. Additionally, after sales support, for the examples you brought up, that's where the money's to be made. Once you've built that trust, once you've gotten them clearly on board with the idea that they want to work with your organization, they want to buy from you, then there's so much more ROI, so much more margin on being able to capitalize on that after sales effort, those additional products once you've had people locked in. Great mindset shifts, right? But we know this isn't just about mindset. If it were, we'd have far more success in the world. We'd have, have far leaner manufacturing processes, far more revenue across a lot of different companies. The fact is, on a day-to-day -day basis, a lot of organizations struggle with a lot of the they struggle with a lot of the tasks that will allow this to be possible because manufacturing is not a perfect science in many organizations. There's a lot of challenges, be it related to process optimization or communication between different stakeholders, ineffective and inefficient workflows and operations within the back office. And this is all leading to situations where manufacturing is not what it can be. So before we can start to look at these big picture mindsets, can you walk us through some of these challenges and obstacles that are preventing us from executing even our base level tasks? Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, the, the fact is, right, all these places, the the process optimization has really been historically around, right? How do I move a box? We make boxes here. I need to move the boxes. And, and so, so it's that, you know, I'm in Rochester, New York here, right? So I am, I am in the, what would you say? It's like the case study town for places that were so successful doing one thing that they completely missed doing the thing that would actually win the future for them, right? So a Kodak here, they made so much money selling, selling uh, you know, silver halide emulsion film that, that even though they invented all the digital photography stuff, they never capitalized on that. And they eventually declared bankruptcy while all this digital technology that they had pioneered and invented was making the hit movie of the summer, landing in everybody's telephone. It was everywhere. And the guys who invented it are sitting there saying, buy the box of film, buy the box, of, right? It's not working. Um, so that, you know, current past success, that's always your biggest obstacle, right? Is that, that, well, I'm good at selling boxes, you know, this whole dealing with customers. I mean, what's that all about, you know? Um, so, th so that's like the biggest thing. I would say, you know, there, there's, there's problems in manufacturing all over the place with, with lack of standard work, lean term of, uh, lean manufacturing term of art, right? Standard work just means I've got a process here's the best possible practice that I can think of doing. And I've got people locked in doing best possible practice. Well, it tends not to be like that, right? It tends to be, you know, George does it his way, Susan does it her way, Bill does it his way, and all of it's managed on a spreadsheet and nobody understands the spreadsheet except for Fred, you know? Um, uh, and, and, and that's exacerbated, right? We're currently, we're in this employment crunch, right? It's very hard to hire people. We've got in manufacturing particularly, Everybody looks like me, right? They're all like old guys. They're like 50 in their 50s. They're all thinking about, you know, uh, when can I go play golf in Florida? Is there a package coming so I can get the hell out of here? Kind of thing, right? Um, 
so that's a problem and then and then the last part is really these um complex cross-functional processes right how do how does logistics interact with the supply chain how does that interact with customer support how do the field service guys and the installers uh, uh interact with all of the above um how do i plan my aftermarket parts because i'm good at planning widgets that i need to go in the boxes that i sell but it's sort of a different thing to say well how many spare widgets should i have you know traveling around in people's trunks right um and then the other thing that makes it hard with aftermarket world on this is that so many of these functions have been outsourced right so i may not own my own transportation network i may have third-party service providers um i remember uh, doing some consulting at a um what was it emc back in the day i can probably say their name because they they're part of dell now that that's an old world but you know they had things on nuclear submarines you know it's like well you can't just send a service tech out to a nuclear submarine and say, hi, I'm, I'm here to, to look at your hard drives, right? I mean, that's like, it's a complex outsourced process. So how to, so all these things kind of make it, you, you know, it's difficult, right? It's, if this was easy, uh, it would have been solved and, and it's, it's not easy. And that's why people are still struggling with some of these things. Yeah, it almost sounds like you have a self-fulfilling prophecy there too, though, right? If you don't approach it as a big picture full service experience endeavor, then you're going to find yourself boxed into these. Well, everyone is disconnected. Everyone only owns their one task. And because their one task doesn't go hand in hand with everyone else, you're left with a situation where you keep struggling on these inefficient processes. You keep succumbing victim to old mindsets and old ways of doing things, and you don't get what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. The right, the right. What we see happening everywhere, right, is I'm good at this. I know how to optimize this all that other stuff i don't know what interacting with people i don't always interact with so whatever you know i keep doing what i'm doing you know and so far we mentioned a lot of a lot of challenges and a lot of obstacles as it relates to specifically process optimization communication we mentioned field service um, different industries within manufacturing as well as some of the workflows and how it really is all tied together creating some of the obstacles that we're seeing in manufacturing but one of the greatest questions I could possibly ask are what are some of the answers to these obstacles that we're addressing? Yeah, that's, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? So it's, um, you know, if, if you, uh, I, I came out of big ERP background, right? Um, a new ERP, that's it, right? That, that was always our answer, right? For 20 years, that was sort of what the ERP vendors would tell you is, is, well, the reason you have these problems is you're not all up, all in, in a single ERP. And, you, you know, that's what SAP would say, what Oracle would say, whatever. And, and you know they were they were right about that, right? The DRP did do it all. The problem with that answer is that yeah, the DRP will do it all for you for 150 million dollars at the end of five years. Oh, and by the way, during those five years, you'll have changed your business model four times, acquired two companies, and divested yourself of one division. And so, actually, by the time you get there, it's not there anymore. It's moved, right? The target's moved. So, so that ERP answer. Well, I'm just putting up another obstacle, aren't I? So let me let me answer your question. So the, what was interesting was that even SAP just admitted this. There was like a press release from SAP uh, just a couple of weeks ago where they talked about, you know, it's not monolithically destroy everything you've got and replace it with SAP. Even SAP's not giving that message. They're talking about we've got pieces so that you can adopt 
independently, individually. And really that's, you know, with people like, like Salesforce, with ServiceNow, right? These nimble cloud players provide this platform that connects all of these uh, 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 investments, right? That we've got. So, so what we're seeing a lot at ServiceNow is really um, using our workflow engine, right? It's like a platform agnostic workflow engine that plays nicely with others, right? So people are using this workflow to connect processes across systems, across functional silos. They're even using it to connect SAP to SAP kind of thing, right? Because, because it's just easier to do with um, the, these new nimble cloud technologies. Um, and then what does that do? Well, one of the things that does is it actually you actually have like your IT investments supporting standard work, right? The IT uh, uh, system that you're in kind of gives you that step-by-step, -step, hey, Brian, do this, Brian, do that. Uh, Brian finishes his task, it hands off to Joe. Joe does his three tasks, which are listed for him in, in a little playbook. And when Joe's tasks are done, you know, Matt is automatically notified kind of thing, right? So, so we're doing the best possible practice that we can think of, supported by the software at every step. Um, the, and then the last thing I should talk about here, we haven't even touched on, can't believe we got this far in a conversation like this without touching on, on Internet of Things, um, particularly in the service arena, right? Um, now, obviously, you know, if you're selling razor blades, you probably don't have an Internet of Things connection to it. But if you're selling something, anything that's got an electronic component, there's this Internet of Things aspect where, you know, with the ubiquity of, of Internet connectivity, with the low cost of data storage, I can fill up a data lake with all the parameters that, that your machine, the machine that I've sold you, can throw off, right? So now I've got this awesome data lake. I put an AI on top of that that says, oh, that's an anomaly. That's an anomaly. That's right. And as I see those anomalies, uh, uh, as the AI surfaces those, you know, a case is automatically opened on that. It's like, Brian, you need to go check that thing out. That's going to break in, in, in two weeks uh, kind of thing. Right. So, so that's great. Okay. So, so good. Okay. I can, I can figure out ahead of time that something's about to break. What's the value of that? So, so it's, it's nice in and of itself that, that I, I know ahead of time, it's going to break. I can, you know, if I'm doing elevators, I can phone the, the business, uh, the, the um, uh, what, property manager, I guess, right? The landlord and say, hey, one of my guys, Brian's going to be along, you know, it, sometime in the next three days, he's going to be along to look at the elevator because we think he needs to. So that's cool. The customer's happier and it's cheaper for me. But the awesome power of this is how do you do it today? Well, the way you do that today is with a thousand preventive maintenance truck rolls and 90% of those truck rolls are check mark, looks good. And then you, right? Okay, I drove out to your site to put a check mark on something. If I can take those, those kind of useless lube and calibrate, put a check mark truck rolls out of the equation and say, just keep running your elevator. It's fine. I can tell it's fine. Run your switch gear, run your whatever it is um, and only go look at it. I'm saving huge cost from a service perspective uh, just in, in, in that alone, right, is going to pay for huge, not, not only that initiative, but multiple initiatives afterwards. You brought up a lot of great points there, and I love that you brought up the Internet of Things specifically as it relates to any product that has kind of a technology component of it. Um, it kind of helps organizations understand things like when will that product break? What can they do to kind of reinforce that after sales component 
um, how they might be able to even market more products for that consumer to be able to re-up or um, revamp that product that might be on its way out. But then you have things like enterprise resource planning, which you kind of touched on as well. But we can't really talk about ERP without mentioning basically the opposite or legacy systems that are very much so still in place today across a number of different industries. But what are really some of the, the unique and, and most challenging components of legacy systems as you're seeing it today? Yeah, I mean, absolutely right, right? I mean, it's it's the, you know, it's not just where I want to get to, right? It's where I'm coming from that, that, that I've got to be worried about. And uh, certainly what we see in manufacturing all over the place is, is, right, everyone's just painted themselves into a corner with their IT investments over a 20-year period. It's... It, it, you know, I was going to liken it to a medieval cathedral, but those are kind of beautiful. But, you know, they're, they're built over 100 years kind of thing, 200 years. And, and there's totally different architectural patterns from one place to another. Well, with IT, that's also true. We've got these totally different architectures all over the place. And, you know, it's a, this big, giant data kludge. Um, and, and I don't want to rag on that stuff. Like, I was part of it, I, uh, you know, so I, so I, I can't rag too much on it, right? But, but it, it was... Um, you know, the productivity games from that stuff were fantastic, right? I mean, we used to used to be in the warehouse, you'd have a dot matrix printer, which would rattle off the, you know, here's the 22 things, Matt, I want you to walk through the warehouse, you know, two and a half miles, you'll come back with your, with your little cart full of everything. And then I'd say, oh, yeah, they canceled the order. So you go put all that stuff back, right? With ERP, uh, with ERPs, with the modern warehouse technologies, etc, right? Uh, um, you know, that was kind of, we did away with that. Now you've got a little headset, right? Those material handlers have headsets. You, it, they say next pick, next pick, next pick. Uh, if the order cancels, I, I might be a mile away from the, the home base, uh, way out in the bowels of the warehouse somewhere, but I'm being told, you know, it's, it's automatically adjusting everything that I need. But, but the, you know, the problem is, all those technologies were bespoke. They all had their own world, their own protocols, their own, uh, they'd been customized to the point where no one could do anything. And, and if you're an IT guy, I mean, there was so much technical debt there. You know, if you, it was, uh, if you guys ever played the game Kerplunk with your kids, or, or maybe you still play it now, Brian, um, right? But, right, or, or Jenga or something, right? You pull a stick out, and uh, if you pull the wrong stick, all the marbles hit the floor. I mean, that's basically the situation that IT directors are in all over the place, right? Is, is that you, some bright young uh, uh, lady from marketing says, here's the awesome thing I'm gonna do. We wanna do this in, in three districts. We're gonna fail fast. We're gonna iterate quickly. We're gonna adjust on the fly. And then we're gonna, and the IT director says, you know, great idea. It's gonna take me nine months and, and $2 million to achieve what you were hoping to get done in the next six weeks kind of thing, right? Um, the other thing that you found, right, was this optimization in silos was a big problem. Um, I, I remember, and then this is true, again, true story. Uh, um, I was talking to a business leader. I, I was trying to explain to him that the quoting team, you know, needed to be more thoughtful about, you know, some of the things they passed downstream because we were getting invoice, they, they had terrible invoice quality issues. And, you know, what do you do when the invoice quality is wrong? Well, what that means is you don't pay, right? You say, oh yeah, I don't understand the invoice. And that gives me like six weeks to, before you get your money because you made a mistake. And he got really, really mad at me for bringing invoicing into it and said, Joe, the problem is my system does everything right. Those people can't get a right invoice out the door. You know, you just kind of completely missed the, 
yeah, the reason they can't get the invoice out the door is because your system that from your point of view does everything right, does not provide enough information downstream for this to be taken care of. So just like an example, right, of this, this kind of legacy paralysis that, that so many people are in. Um, yeah, so, well, let me leave that there. Yeah, I think, for, well, first of all, I just want to clarify, I've actually never once in my life played Kerplunk, and now <laughs> I'm in the background looking up eBay or Amazon to get myself a set so I could find out and really fully appreciate the reference. But what I can already appreciate is the connection to the idea of working collaboratively and really having a single view. Now, even when I say the term single view, which is often very popular, I think it it sort of limits or downplays what we're really talking about here. Because certainly, yes, we want unified systems. We want everyone to be looking at the same records, have the same perspective of what's going on within the organization. But ultimately, our goal is not, let's make sure everyone's looking at the same screen. Let's make sure we have one tool that does it all. Our goal is what happens once we are unified, which is that we can start to identify some cumbersome processes. We can start to identify areas where we can automate different parts of the overall journey to create a more efficient manufacturing process and a more effective sales process. We want to look at areas that are wasting too much time that should be automated. We want to get a sense of what everyone's doing so we know that we can work toward the same goal. So I want to see if you can share some recommendations on, first of all, what it takes to get a single system of action in place, maybe from a technology standpoint, but then also talk about what it ultimately means from an operational one, because that's really where we're going to see, start to see a lot of the benefits that you've alluded to throughout the conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right on, right? Because because that's, I mean, that's really what these nimble cloud players are kind of all about, right? It's that connective tissue across the legacy systems. So it's, you know, it, 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 it's easy to say, oh, these systems are no good, but how do I get everyone trained to use different systems and put a different system in place? And, and again, I kind of, you know, I kind of teased my friends over at SAP or whatever with this, this, you know, yeah, $150 million, five years, but that's, that's the reality. If you wanted to blow everything up and start new, right? So the, the answer I think is, and, and again, this is where like the service nows and sales forces of the world are, are, are getting called in to help on these sorts of things is you leave those systems of records in place where they're still useful, right? There's not a lot of benefit to changing them, right? You're not gonna, you're not gonna repayables your way to top line growth. So, so why are you looking at changing payables? Let's just leave payables, right? The, the way it is, et cetera. Um, so if we take like a, an example, right? I, just so I don't get too abstract here, um, a device fails in the field. So what do I need to do? Well, I need to fix it, right? That's gonna make my customer happy. And then the other thing that I'm highly motivated to do is figure out the root cause so that I don't have to run out there and fix it, you know, 387 more times or, or 387 more instances of that device have the same problem. This is like surprisingly complex to, to do, right? Um, to get a closed loop here, um, you know, in the old world, and this, this is a true story, by the way, this is a Japanese manufacturer that we helped, um, you know, customer calls sales to, to complain, right? There's an issue here. Sales doesn't know the answer because uh, what does a sales guy do? Well, he plays golf, right? So, so he doesn't quite know. So he calls the sales engineer. The sales engineer realizes she doesn't know exactly what this is, kind of above my pay grade. I need product uh, backup, right? I need the guys who design this uh, for a living to, to tell me well, what the heck, why is it failing this way? So product takes time to analyze that, right? There's logistics to get the part back. There's a, I need to look in the quality system. Um, the product people are looking in their um, uh, product lifecycle management system, PLM systems, right? 
turns out, oh, it's a supplier issue, right? The, the widget that we got that we put in our product is failing. And it's because it's because that widget wasn't up to spec. So now I need to get that part to the supplier. They need to do their analysis. They're back and forth with it. Takes a long time. And all that stuff typically is facilitated by emails and phone calls, because even though everyone along that path that I just described has a system, right? There's a portal for the customer and the sales guy has a CRM system and the sales engineer has, has her, uh, 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 you know, service systems. And then the product people have their systems, their qualities and PLMs and whatever suppliers have their systems. It's, it's, there's, you know, it's really, it's emails and phone calls that are driving that. And the problem with emails and phone calls are that means there's no real standard work. Nobody's got the status. There's no way of really knowing where is the ball on the field at any given moment. I don't know. Now you imagine, okay, the customer was upset and they're saying, you know what, the next $40 million deal, that is on hold until you, you know, bloody well come and take care of this service issue that I've got. So now all those people that I just described are getting some executive vice president of sales phoning them saying, just give me a status, you know? Um, so, so what's the answer? Well, so what we did, this was a ServiceNow story, right? A portal to log the for the customer to log the complaint. That portal uh, automatically creates parallel notifications to all the stakeholders, right? Sales, sales engineer, product, all with SLAs that are going to escalate. If nobody picks this up, it goes to, you know, Joe doesn't pick it up, it goes to Brian. Brian doesn't pick it up, it goes to Matt. But as soon as Joe does pick it up, Brian and Matt don't need to pick it up now, right? I'm the engineer, I got it. You know, I'll let you guys know if if you're the next person in the chain kind of thing, right? I find out it's a supplier issue. I push that to the supplier portal, right? And we took a process that took about three weeks to get through that had no standard work, no status. And we got that down to one week, right? So we, you know, took 67% latency out of the process. That's pretty awesome. Uh, eliminated emails and phone calls. The work's now documented in this one platform service. Now that EVP who needs status, status, status on this, go to one place and you can see all of that status stuff. And all of that was accomplished actually without changing out any of their systems. Now, you know, again, these platforms like ServiceNow, like Salesforce, et cetera, right? Have the capability to change, like if it makes sense to, to, to change something out, yeah, you could do that if you wanted to, but you don't even need to sometimes, right? It's those old legacy systems. It still works. It's like the car that you used to drive to the airport or something, right? The car you used to get groceries. I don't need my real nice car just to go to the grocery store and come back kind of thing, right? It still works. So why would I buy a new car? But it, it's something like that, right? I don't need to change out those systems of record. I've got that connective tissue that brings me through them in the best possible way. Yeah, I, I will say that our audience, I mean, you're talking about operational leaders who are probably have their eyes lighting up right now when you're walking through all the time they can save, all the angry emails, all the concerning questions that they have to call about. Because when you take everything that's right, that they know that they want to achieve, that they know in theory their tools can achieve for them, but they haven't been able to do so, again, as you said, due to the lack of connective tissue, when you create that, when you bring everything together, make it seamless for them, already they're excited about those operational gains, those efficiency benefits. But at one point, you also alluded to the idea of a customer being upset. And you framed it, of course, along the lines of, 
well, if that customer is upset by your inefficient processes, not getting the root cause solved, not getting what they're looking for, that may cost you a multi-million dollar deal. And we can all understand why that's bad news, right? But there's also, even beyond that, even if you don't necessarily have an immediate, amazing sales proposal at stake, every single customer has the opportunity to become more valuable to your business or less valuable based on their level of customer satisfaction. And so really look, tying everything you're talking about together, one, how these problems are perhaps hurting customer satisfaction, and two, how taking some of the steps you recommended to solve them will lead to more satisfied customers. Walk, walk us through kind of the connection between the manufacturing and the service processes you're speaking of and what that ultimately means for the experience for that final customer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, so, I mean, right. It helps all around is, 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 I guess the, the short answer to that question, right. It, it's, you know, people, I think, want to do business with you really along three vectors, uh, right. Three vectors make you more attractive uh, than, uh, than another vendor, right. Quality is number one, right. Just broadly defined quality, right. Do you, you've got what I want. It's on time. It's in full. It meets the specs that I need. Um, Price is another one, right? Uh, it's got to be a price I can afford, and and I can't obviously beat that price, right? It, uh, you know, your price needs to be competitive. Um, and then the last one, and and I think this is really the 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 key because you know the quality piece and the price piece, you've only got so much you can do about that, right? I can only build so good a mousetrap. I can only sell what I've built at at a price point that's higher than it costs me to build it, but easy to do business with. That's the third leg here. That's something that I can, I have a lot of control over, right? Uh, it's, it's why people go to Amazon instead of just shopping at, at 15 websites, right? That, that was the theory of the internet. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember it, but, but like 20 years ago, people would say, oh, well, the internet, you know, growth, total price, price transparency. People have no uh, loyalty to anyone. They're just going to, it's actually not true. Everyone goes to Amazon first because, you know, even if I could find the same thing for 10% less somewhere else, I'm all set up on Amazon. I'm already logged in probably. I've probably got a prime membership. If I spend more than $25, I'm going to get free shipping. And so this costs more than $25, right? Like it's just, it's the sheer convenience of Amazon that makes you say, you know, I don't really care. Uh, that I could get this 10% less somewhere else. I'm not going to waste my time looking for for that little change in quality, little change in price. Why bother? And and so I guess, you know, the focus here, I think, is really on that easy to do business part, right? It's the least expensive uh, uh, lever that you've got to pull, but it's really, really powerful in your quest to capture and retain your customers. Um, so from a CSAT perspective, I guess I'd say, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the building this kind of, of, of platform above your legacy investments, abstracting from them what you need to kind of create that best poss possible practice driven through the software. That's what's going to give you the, um, that easy to do business part. I couldn't have said it better myself, that third leg component, that kind of Amazon customer experience mindset, when you combine all the things we talked about throughout this podcast, lowering costs, being able to deliver an efficient service to the best of an organization's ability. And before we wrap up, I want to see if you have any kind of concluding thoughts that you want to share before we, uh, before we wrap up today's session. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, I, I guess, you know, um, I, I, 
sort of wrapping up, I guess I'd say, you know, it, it's really the, the key to this sort of transformation, I think really is these nimble cloud players like ServiceNow, right? Uh, system agnostic uh, engines that play well with others. You abstract from those systems of record what you need, connect and drive that value across those functional and operational silos so that you're kind of creating that, that best possible practice um, um, and that's going to, you know, that's what's going to drive the transformation. That's what's going to get you from, um, I'm stuck, I'm paralyzed, I sell boxes, and I don't know how to get out of the box selling mode into a kind of servitized, capture that, that service revenue opportunity, that service, and, and more importantly, that service margin opportunity. How am I going to do that? It's, it's going to be with something like this. It's going to be that, that cross-functional uh, uh, cross connective tissue. It's a great way to put it. Joe, thanks so much for all your time today and providing our audience with some really relevant knowledge right now.